Welcome to Hillside Community Church's weekly podcast. We're glad that you've chosen to listen to this week's message and hope that it ministers to you today. Hillside's located in Keller, Texas, and if you would like to know more about us or to listen to previous recordings, please visit us at yourhillside.com. And now, this week's message. All right, if you uh, don't have uh, one of our charts that we're kind of guiding you through from Romans 5 through 8, then lift your hand up. The ushers have them, and they'll slip one into your hands uh, as we get started here. We have looked at uh, Romans 5, 6, and 7. And what I want to do today is ask the question, where does that leave us? Where does Romans 5, 6, and 7 leave us? It's an important question because it kind of determines what happens next. And of course, Romans 8 will tell us how to approach the spiritual life as a result. And there are a few things, though, this week and next week that I want to talk to you about so that Romans 8 will be clearer. It's so important that Romans 8 be clear that I want to spend a couple weeks preparing you for that. So today, I want to bring you to this place and then kind of maybe leave you hanging just a little bit so that we can pick it back up uh, next week. This is really fun, and uh, for me anyway, uh, because I want to review with you, and this review will kind of, I hope, tie it all together and make everything we've said about this very, very critical text uh, come to life a little bit. I want to remind you that Romans 1 to 4, okay, got you lost, and then we used the big word, justified. That was the first thing we, we learned. We got justified. And justified means to be made right with God. This is what that means. It has to do with how God sees you. He sees you as righteous, not your righteousness, not because of anything you've done. That's what we said. Not because you've kept the law and you look good, look morally good, or you look righteous. God sees you as righteous because his son's righteousness was applied to you. That's why he sees you as righteous, and that's what justified means. God sees you as righteous. All right? Now, Romans 1 to 4, this is a really important thing to keep in mind is about what God did for us. I want you to put that down and keep that in mind. Okay? And because of what God did for us, because Jesus' death and resurrection, his righteousness was applied to us. He sees me as righteous. That's what God does for us. Chapter 5, chapter 5 answers the question about, am I secure? starts to answer that question. Am I secure? And Paul's very critical answer in chapter 5 is, yes, you are secure. What Jesus did for you is enough and to take you all the way to eternity. It's not just front and loaded. Because you need grace at every stage. So the question is, uh, am I secure? And that's the that topic never goes away. From 5, 6, 7, and 8, there are little threads all the way through it that remind you that you're secure, and it peaks in chapter 8. All right, so with the security question comes the next question, which is chapter 6. Uh, do I have to live holy? Do I have to live holy? Remember what Romans 6.1 says. I think it's right here. What shall we say then? After chapter 5, I'm secure because of what Christ did for me. 
Are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase? Should I, am I allowed to keep sinning then? Which we said, Paul said, is a great question to ask. But he can't believe you're asking it. It's a great question. And everyone who gave their life to Christ last Sunday ought to ask it. What do I do now? Am I allowed to do whatever I want? Okay, so we go back to this. Chapter 6 says no. And chapter 6 changes what God did for us to what God did in us. Here's where we get messed up. We think that just because of what God did for us, everything is okay. We don't have to think about anything else. We don't have to think about our spiritual lives. We're definitely going to heaven no matter what we do. That's not Paul's point at all. Paul's point is, oh, no, 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 no. God didn't just do something for you. God did something in you. And by the way, I want to use this word with you. Simultaneously. They happened at the same time. He didn't do something for you and wait years to do it in you. They both happened at the same time. Romans 5, 6, 7, and 8 is very little imperatives. It's few commands. It's all about what God has done for you already. And he has secured you. He has justified you, made you right in his eyes. And he imputes or imparts righteousness to you as well. When we think about holy, here's the, here's the other big word, sanctification. Sanctification is the word that describes the process about changing you. That's all the big word does. And really just means, the word itself means set apart, which is the word for holy. It's the same word for holy. Holy and sanctification are the same thing. You say sanctification, you say holy. Set apart. That's what holy means. Set apart for special use and purpose. All right? So that's what happened. That's a work that God did in us. Okay? Now, here's the reason why this is critical. Here God sees you as righteous. Here he frees you to be righteous. Here he sees you as righteous. Justification. Sanctification is he frees you to be righteous. And they both happen at the same time. Okay? One is for us. One is in us. Now, here's what I want you to see in Romans 6 to explain that. For if we have become united with him. There it is. You say, how did that happen? What did he do in me? What, did, what, what happened in me? We have become united with him. Okay? How? In the likeness of his death and his resurrection. All right, remember what I said that really happened at the end of chapter 5 that's really important in this picture. And you, We were in Adam, connected to the one who sinned, and because of the sin we died. That's what happens to every human being connected to Adam. That's why we all die. When Christ came, he became our new head. He changed epics, if you will. It's a whole new person to be connected to. And so he transferred us. That's what Romans 6 is saying. We were united with him. Disconnected from Adam, united with Christ. That union required something. It required that we experience his death and his resurrection. And that's what he's saying here. 
In other words, you didn't just get moved over geographically, although that was part of it. You actually underwent the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ and came over. Okay, here's the reason. Two questions, the two issues that we're talking about. So you ask, is there any way to get back over here? That's the security question. Can I lose it? And the answer is no. Here's how you know that. Christ would have to undo his death and resurrection for you to undo yours. Can't undo that. It cannot be undone. You say, what about all the people who, who really, you know, they claim to know Christ, but they really don't know. If they don't really know him, then this didn't really happen. You can claim to know him all day long and not really know him. That's the answer to that. At the end of the day, God will judge who's really in and who's really out. But Paul is saying, if you've experienced this death and resurrection with Christ, you can't undo it. The rest of Romans 6 explains that, especially 6, 8 through 10. All right? So you can't come back. That's the security part. Well, what about the sin part? Am I allowed to still act like I was in Adam? Can I still do some sin stuff? Remember what we said a couple weeks ago about Jeffrey Dahmer? Hey, if Jeffrey Dahmer comes to Christ, who used to like to eat people, is he allowed to keep eating people if he comes to Jesus? Okay, no, you're not allowed to keep it. Sorry, Jeffrey. Need you to change your taste. Okay? Say cow with me, Jeffrey. Say cow with me, Jeffrey. All right? You, that's the sin question. That's the sin question. Am I allowed to keep sinning over there because I'm secure? No. You got disconnected from Adam. And in Adam was the sin and the death. All of that goes away. You got disconnected from it. You, listen, listen. How definitive was the move? You died. Is there anything more definitive than death? I mean, you're a corpse. There's no vestige of life left in you. There's no sign of life. There's no, there's nothing. You cease to exist in one reality. And you belong to another one where righteousness dominates and life dominates. Okay? That's the picture. You're secure. Can you sin? No. Because God did a work in you too that doesn't just move you. It changes you. It's something you experienced mystically, spiritually, in reality. A move has happened. There has been a major shift in your life when you become a Christian. Outside my office this week, all week long, has been these beautiful butterflies. It's been amazing to watch their colors and just see them. Every time I walk out the door, they just take off and they're flying around. One of them caught my eye because he was all black. His wings were totally black. And then at the top was this, just this beautiful orange stripe. And that's all that was on it. And it caught my eye. And every time I came out, I found myself looking for that one. That one, I tried to get a picture, but, it, you know, he wouldn't cooperate. So I was going to show it to you, but I couldn't cooperate. Uh, I do have, uh, by the way, a, some sort of a picture. I don't know if I got one right here. I don't know, maybe too much. Just to kind of show you, that butterfly can't ever start acting 
like a, like a caterpillar again. That butterfly can never act like a, like a caterpillar again. The reason that butterfly can't is because he underwent some radical transformation that he cannot undo. He cannot go back to looking or acting like a caterpillar. Two things. He's secure. He can't ever be a caterpillar again because of this radical transformation. Can't be undone. And the second thing is he can't help but act like a butterfly. Does that make sense? He can't help but fly. He can't help but look beautiful. He can't help but live differently than he did as a, as a caterpillar. That's, what, that's exactly what Christ has done for you. He has turned you into something else. This butterfly didn't become a butterfly because he took flight classes. You see? It wasn't just an intellectual thing. I don't want to be a caterpillar anymore. I'm going to take some courses. I'm going to get myself butterfly educated because that's not what changed. That's not how he's going to change. He underwent something that can't ever be reverted back. And the question in Romans 6.1 is, can a butterfly live like a caterpillar? Can someone who just got saved, who be, who's seen as righteous before God, can that person now act like he used to? No, he can't. And all because of what God did to you. You haven't done a thing yet. You're just something different. Now, that is extremely critical to understand because Paul's going to give you in this text, well, well, Paul, can you give me some window into what I'm supposed to do now as the butterfly? Yeah, 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 I can help you with that a little bit. Let me take you to Romans 6, and he gives you, there's only a few imperatives, maybe three, maybe four imperatives, a couple of prohibition and commands. But I want to show you, you can't, you, you can't glean anything more powerful for your spiritual life than what comes right out of here, right here. What am I supposed to do now that I'm a beautiful butterfly? Well, the first thing he says is, as a butterfly, you better consider yourselves to be dead to caterpillarishness. That's the first thing you got to do. Commit. You got to realize you're not a Don't be crawling around like a caterpillar anymore. You've got to consider yourself dead to caterpillarishness. Crawling around looking for bugs in the dirt. Look alive. You ever had anybody tell you, look alive? Well, that's what this is. You died with Christ, you rose with him to a new life, right? Look alive, young man. That's what he's going to say. You're dead to that existence. And the first thing you have to do is mentally grab a hold of that. And here's how you do that, by the way. And you ought to do it every day. This thought ought to cross your mind every day. That's not who I am. I'm not a caterpillar anymore. That's, that's not what I do anymore. When you're faced with a temptation, or you find yourself wanting to act a certain way or be a certain way, you want to say to yourself, I'm not a caterpillar anymore. I'm a butterfly. I don't belong to that way of thinking and living anymore. I, I belong to something else. So Paul says, it's a mental thing first. You got to see yourself that way. And then he comes in and he says, gives you something else, another imperative. Here's the prohibition. So, so, 
don't present the members of your body as, to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God. See, now you can do that. Listen, folks. Before you came to know Christ, before the inside work was done, you had no alternative to presenting your members as body. You had to present your members as of your body to sin. You didn't even have an alternative. In Christ, as a butterfly now, you can get up and fly if you want. That's what Jesus Christ did, all because of his power. You now can, and you have the alternative, and the alternative ought to look good to you since you're a butterfly now. The alternative to fly ought to look good to you now as a butterfly. As a caterpillar, it didn't look very good. You had 952 legs, no wings. Flying didn't really look that good. But as a, calip as a, as a butterfly, flying looks good and flying as a butterfly looks like presenting yourselves to god as those look at it, look alive alive from the dead and your members this is your earthly members which by the way remember we said military image this is a military image paul shifts gears from this slavery image to a military image and sees you as if you've changed uh, armies okay you have a you fight for a different cause and the members of your body now are weapons <coughs> your hands your feet your tongue your eyes all of which you used to use to help you sin you know the way you look at people the way you talk to people the way you approach people with your whole body your feet your hands all the sin we do somehow is using this body paul says take your members all of these now that you're a butterfly and use them for righteousness um, the image is very graphic. It's one of my favorite. It's one you ought to keep in mind. The image kind of goes, has to do with weapons. So it's a military image. So your body parts are seen as weapons. And you used to be able to use them, okay, for unrighteousness. You walked around the world like this, doing, serving the kingdom of sin, looking for opportunities to, to sin. We were good at it. We were good at it. Okay, like snipers. We could find sin when there was no sin. Remember that? But now that we've changed teams, we fight for a different team now. Oh, so you're saying when I sin now, here's how you're supposed to see it. When I sin now, it's as if I've turned my weapons on my own army. It's as if I'm shooting for the other team. It's, a, it's such an act of treason. I mean, Paul is doing his best to show you how radical it is to sin now that you're in Christ, to act like a caterpillar now that you're a butterfly. You actually do damage to the cause that you're for. It's a horrible act. In war, we would consider it the worst possible crime. And so Paul is saying, that's how I want you to view your sin. It's not just that you're a butterfly. You're part of a different army. You serve righteousness now, not sin. That's the picture. It's very powerful. And so there's a physical image. There's a mental one. See yourself that way. And then there's a physical one where you actually say, yeah, you're right. That's, that is not who I am anymore. So you come over here and you do something different. There's a, there's a mental component and a physical component. 
Okay? So, Paul's essentially saying, just act like you're really alive. Act like now who you are. That's a big part of this whole Christian thing. Now, so Paul is saying, we are free from sin now. That's what Romans 6 is telling us. But Paul tells us something else in chapter 6. Not only that, but we're not under the law anymore. He will say this. Look at verse 14. He will tell you, you're under grace. You're not under law. Okay? And so a question starts to appear. Well, if I'm not under the law, what's, what's my moral standard then? I like the idea of not being under the law because being under the law is, means I'm going to be condemned. I don't want to be under the law. I was rescued from under the law. Galatians says you were redeemed from the law. By the way, if you want a commentary on Romans 7, it's the six chapters of Galatians. That's the commentary on Romans 7. Everything you want to know about Romans 7, Paul will teach you firsthand in Galatians. And we're going to look a little bit in Galatians. So Paul says you're not under the law anymore okay now look you're free liberty liberty from the law that's the next thing that you have been given in Christ you didn't do it he did it as you're a part of his death we saw in Romans chapter 7 1 to 6 last week that if you're part of his death you got married to a new man you, you your husband law you were dead to him now you have a new husband that's Romans 7 and that new husband is Christ Okay? You're not under the law anymore. To say that you're not under the law means you're not using the law to make you look good anymore. You're not using the law to make you look good anymore. All right? And you're not condemned by it anymore either. Remember, the law kill you. Law's not there to, to save you. Here's what Paul says in Romans 7 about the law. Remember what he says? So then, the law is holy. Law is not a bad thing. The law is a good thing. It just has no power to save. I think the best illustration of that is this right here. We said this. Um, this bowl represents your life. The sand in the bottom represents the flesh. Okay, and the law is this big spoon. Okay, the law comes in, and what the law does, according to Romans seven, is it just stirs up sin. That's all it does comes in and stirs it up. It arouses sin. It shows you what sin is. Oh, there's that baby right there. What we do is we grab onto the spoon and think the spoon's going to save us. Hey, if I could just do something that this spoon tells me to do, I'm going to look good to God. But the law's like, get off me. Get off of me. Don't you touch me. The law's like, oh, no, sorry, dude. You look worse than you thought you did. The law has no power to save. Paul alludes to the fact that it snuck in to show you what sin was really like to drive you to Christ. That's what the law did. Okay, so the law cannot save you. All right, and there's a couple of reasons and things that you ought to understand about the law that Galatians fills in the details on in a beautiful way. So the law is good, but it has no power to save. That's all it does. It's all it was job to do was to stir you up, stir up the sin so you could see it. And then he says in Galatians chapter uh, 4, this is really terrific. He says, tell me, you who want to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? Like, how much of the law do you listen to? 
Like, do you pick and choose laws? Or do you listen to the whole law? Okay? Because the Jews were picking laws. They were picking the one they really liked. And the one they liked was circumcision. You can't know Jesus. You can't be right with God unless you get circumcised. That was their favorite one because it was a mark of their nationality. So you got to get circumcised. Well, Paul is saying, okay, so you're going to make one up, which we all do. We talked about that last week. Sometimes we make up our own rules and laws. And theirs was circumcision. So they said, ah, you want to be circumcised. And here's what Paul says in chapter 5 about that little thing. And by the way, you just fill in the blank of circumcision because most of us would anyway. That wouldn't be the one we'd pick. Okay, we'd pick something else. All right? Uh, fill it in with anything you want. Your favorite laws. The one that makes you feel the best about yourself. You know, the one you actually do. Paul said this. Behold, I, Paul, say to you that if you receive circumcision, if you choose to let that law be what dictates your life and your spiritual reality before God, he says, Christ will be no benefit to you. Christ can be no benefit to you if you pick a law and use it to make yourself look good. Then he goes on to say, and I testify to you again, every man who receives circumcision, every man who grabs on to that law and holds it for themselves, watch this, Christ, he says, that he is also under obligation to keep all the law. In other words, you can't pick and choose laws. You can't just find one you like. You've got to listen to the whole law. And the whole law tells you you can't keep it all. So we can't keep the whole law. So if you're going to pick one area, you've got to pick them all. Anybody in here can do that? No, we're totally condemned. In fact, he goes on to say, if you do that, you've severed yourself from Christ because you're seeking to be justified by the law and you have fallen from grace. Very powerful language. Not going to work. The law won't work. The law won't work. Because you have to take it in its totality. You can't just have a piece of the law. You have to have the whole thing, and the whole thing you can't keep. The second thing about it is, Paul tells us in Romans 7, okay, which is all about the law. Romans 7 is all about the law. You cannot keep it. And here's the reason, Paul says. What this tells us is that what's at the bottom down here is the problem. The law isn't the problem. It's the flesh. So Paul says, my flesh, in fact, Look at this verse. Let's see what this is. Here's 7.14. For we know that the law is spiritual. Law's not bad because it shows me my sin. But I am of flesh sold into the bondage of sin. That's the language of Romans 6. I was stuck in sin. But my flesh is bad, and it doesn't have the power. Paul goes to show you that the flesh does not work. And he uses this I language. I try to do good, but I can't. I do this, I do that, but I got this problem. As soon as I think I'm doing all right, I got this problem. And he uses this I language. And in my opinion, this I, and it's very debatable. So you can go home and figure out which position you want. I've wrestled with it for years, and I'll probably change it again in five years, and we'll teach it again. All right? I think it refers to everyone. A lot of people want to argue when they read the I that it's either a non-Christian or a Christian. Uh, 
and they build their sanctification system on it. It's not critical to understand what Romans 7 is saying to answer this question, but I think he's talking about anyone who is in relationship to the law, their flesh will not cut it. Whether you're a Christian or not, it doesn't matter who you are, you still cannot do this. All right? Everyone has flesh problem, and everyone who tries to solve it with the law will learn that it doesn't work. Okay? And here's my, my, my best proof of that is Romans 8. Romans 8 becomes the commentary on Romans 7. Here's what he says. For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did. Of course, we know the law couldn't do it. We now know the law can't save us, so we don't trust it anymore. What, it's weak. See, it's holy, but it's got no power, man. It's got no power. It can't change you. All right? So, look, God did it. That's what salvation is. He's been saying all along. How? He sent his son in the likeness of sinful flesh, offered it for sin, and he condemned sin in the flesh so that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. Say, so what does it mean that Christ justified me? When he looks at you, he sees the righteousness of his son, which means you have never failed in his eyes because of Christ's righteousness. He sees you as having never once failed in any way. You're fulfilled in you. This is very important. It's fulfilled in you. Who do not walk according to the flesh anymore. What do you walk now? You walk according to the spirit. So the spirit is the answer to the flesh question in chapter 7. My flesh is too bad. Not only is the law good, but it can't save me. My flesh is too bad to save me. I'm stuck. Look, this is the worst possible scenario. I'm sitting here with the law and on my flesh. Law can't save me. Flesh is too bad. The law is good but weak. The flesh is bad and weak. Where does that leave me? Here's Paul going at the end of Romans 7. I'm a wretched man. What am I going to do? So Romans 8 comes along and tells you, ah, I got one more secret for you. I want to teach you about what God did inside you through the Spirit. That's what I want to show you. So he kind of sketches the answer. So now there's a whole Spirit law contrast if I'm not under the law anymore then it's a spirit the spirit comes inside us Romans 7 6 alludes to this remember we read it last weekend but now we have been released from the law having died to that by which we were bound so that we will serve in newness of spirit spirit is used one time in Romans 7 it's a kind of a sneak preview to chapter 8 which is used like 23 times Paul says, no, no, it's not the law. You've been released from the law. You say, well, then, well, that raises a question. But the answer to it is the Spirit. So that takes us back to, uh, let's see, right here. The Spirit law. God is doing now an insight. This is an external thing. It's a law. It's a list. This is a Spirit thing. God's doing something on the inside. It's an inside job. Yeah, because the question naturally arises. If I'm not under the law, who's going to tell me what to do? That's the question. Well, uh, spirit does that. The spirit comes inside. So let me let me let me address this issue just a little bit. Um, and it might be good if I just use this little illustration right here. 
Now this illustration that I'm going to give you, okay, I know it looks like, like is that a SpongeBob character? You know, what the heck is that? No, 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 that's the tablets right there. That's the two tablets. There's really ten commands on there. You can't see them all. All right, there's ten commands, five on each side. All right, listen. All right, so here you are, and here's, here's the picture of what Paul's trying to create. I, I use the law, all right, to help me live my life, to relate to God, which is the triangle. That's for the Trinity. That's the symbol for God. And then, and then to relate to people. So the law helps me relate to these two groups of people. It tells me how to do that. If you take it away, if you're saying I don't have it, what am, what, what am I doing? Well, why would you take it away? Well, here's the reason, okay? You and I use the law to relate to God and to people, all right? The first half of the first five commands relate to God. You know this. The second half of the commands relate to people. That's why Jesus can sum up the entire law with the great commandment, which is love God and your neighbor as yourself, see? You sum the whole thing up. So the law is how we relate to God and people. That's what we use it for. If you take it away, what's happening? Well, here's the reason you got to take it away. First of all, when we use it, there's two reasons. When you use it, it has a backlash effect. You ever been? You ever use a? Uh, you ever use a chainsaw? You know, using a chainsaw, and every once in a while, it kick, it'll kick back on you. You gotta, you kind of gotta watch the middle of your face when you're doing the chainsaw. Well, that's how the law is. It kicks back on you. You say, how does it kick back? Paul already told us. You look at yourself and it makes you feel good about yourself and you become self-righteous. And then you become judgmental of the very people over here. You look at everybody and you've figured out the laws, you see. That's the kickback effect. That's why the law is no good because it makes you feel better about yourself than you really are. All right. The second problem with the law is it has limits. You're limited in terms of the obligation you have to people. See, if I use the law, that's a whole lot easier obligation to both of them if I use this. Let me give you an illustration. If you get through the day today and you don't kill anyone, then you kept the law. You can feel really good about yourself. I didn't kill anyone today. All right? You get through the day and you didn't commit adultery today, you go, yeah, pretty good guy. See, the self-righteousness will come in. I'm a pretty good guy. You say, I didn't hurt anybody today. Right? I didn't build any idols today. I didn't take God's name in vain today. So I'm looking pretty good. I've kept the law. Well, here's the problem. That obligation, it doesn't go far enough for God. That obligation to him and to people do not go far enough. This is why it doesn't work. Because what God wants is to do something inside of you. Watch this. Do something inside your heart that makes you the kind of person that not only doesn't want to break the law, but look, not only am I not going to commit adultery, I'm not going to lust after someone and use them as an object in my own mind. not going to get angry and hurt somebody. See the difference? That's why 
Sermon on the Mount, Jesus was there to say, hey, to the Pharisees, who you loved the law. I know you guys love the law, and you've heard you're not supposed to kill anybody. You're not supposed to commit adultery. I'm telling you, you can't even lust in your heart. I'm telling you, you can't even have a bitter heart. I'm trying to change you into a kind of person who doesn't want to treat people that way. Not try to keep this list, which is very external. It's not transforming at all. And you and I are very good at making lists that we feel good about ourselves, judge others by it, and we judge ourselves by it. You ever done this? You ever say, I forgive them. I just don't want to see them anymore. I've done that. I say I forgive them because I know I'm supposed to, but I don't want to really look at their face anymore. Oh, I've forgiven them, but he better not cross my path no more. That's it. We're done. See the difference? See that? In our minds, we say, hey, God told me to forgive. I forgave. But, he, but that's not transforming you into a loving person. That's just making you a bitter law keeper. See? God doesn't want a bitter law keeper. That's why he doesn't want you using the law. Because it won't transform you. Say, you know, we didn't get a divorce. We kept that law. We're keeping that law. Oh, we hate each other, that's for sure. But we didn't get divorced. Thank God we didn't do that. I don't give her the time of day. She didn't give me the time of day. I couldn't humble myself to say I'm sorry to her if it just crushed me. And I wouldn't serve her. And We didn't get a divorce. God's going to be really pleased with us. And many of us feel better than divorced people. And in God's eyes, the truth is, if we all followed each other around for seven days in our homes, what's the truth? The truth of the matter is you're no better than any divorced person. See, God doesn't want you to have a law in your head that you keep in a standard, but then the rest of you goes to pop. That's the reason in Matthew 23 you have the strongest words from Jesus to people who try to keep the law. Read the whole chapter. Jesus is so mad at the Pharisees. It's the angriest Jesus gets. The most scathing words are to people who try to keep the law. And he says to them, you're like whitewashed sepulchers. You're like a grave that someone has made look good and inside it there's dead men's bones. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and the dish, the inside you're full of robbery and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup. That's what God wants. God wants the inside of the cup clean. He doesn't want you happy that the outside of the cup looks good. Much tougher standard. God wants you to be a different kind of person. So what I've said to you so far should alert this to you for your spiritual life this week. And then we'll close. And next week, I want to say, what should my spiritual life look like in light of this principle? What should it look like? Because I think we ought to be able to answer that question before we understand Romans 8. 
And Romans 8 will bring to life some. But at least you should know now, I've got to see myself as a butterfly and not a caterpillar anymore. I have to present the members of my body to righteousness, not to sin. Every time I sin, I know that I'm fighting for the other team. I can't fight for the other team. That's not my team anymore. It's stupid to fight for the other team. It's ridiculous. And then thirdly, I have to think to myself, where do I feel good about my life externally, but internally I'm falling apart? I've been able to put a show out that I'm okay in some areas, but on the inside I'm horrifically. I act like I have forgiven, but I'm bitter. I act like I'm holy, but I'm full of deceit, self-righteousness. I judge other people all the time. That's not what God wants. I'm so proud of myself for not getting divorced, but I'm a miserable spouse. That's not what God's trying to do. That's not what God's trying to do. got to catch yourself. The law is very sneaky. It's very sneaky. And you'll deceive yourself into thinking you're something you're not. And next week, we got to look at how to become spiritual. What does spiritual life look like? And we'll do that. So I hope you'll be back next week for a very critical message, transition message into Romans 8 that'll get us looking there just a little bit, okay? And it's really great stuff. I hope you will be here. Um, we're going to close our service now. Uh, I want to pray for you real quick. I just want to pray a quick prayer for you and for us as we think about this because there's so many areas of our lives that we have to deal with. Father, I thank you for your word, and I pray that it penetrates today. I pray we see something different than we've seen operate differently than we've been operating, humble ourselves, <coughs> see what's really there, and deal with it. We look forward to learning more about how your spirit transforms us from the inside into, into different kind of people. I pray this, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.